Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, you know, I've got so much stuff to talk about today. It's hard to even figure out where to begin. So let me just start with some of the economic data that came out today, in particular, the February retail sales number. Remember, last month we had a bad number, uh, down 0.3. It was the second month in a row we had a decline in retail sales. And the expectation was for a big rebound in February, up four-tenths of 1%. Now, I suppose the good news, uh, if you are looking for retail sales to to pick up is that they revised the January number upward from minus 0.3 to minus 0.1. Still a drop, but not quite as big. But instead of getting a rebound, we got another drop. We got another 0.1% decline in February. That's a trifecta. That's three months in a row of falling retail sales. That hasn't happened in six years. I mean, this is pretty rare that you have this going on. Now, why is this happening? Remember on Friday, we got this fantastic, too good to be true, just what the doctor ordered jobs report that said about a million people got jobs. Well, why didn't any of those million people take their paychecks and spend them at a retailer? I mean, Trump is talking about all the great jobs and all the raises that people have and all the tax cuts. Why are retail sales down for three months in a row. And in fact, we also got some inventory numbers that came out that spiked up because of an 18-month, I think, slump in sales. So the inventories are building because nobody is buying what's on the shelves. 
Well, that doesn't make sense if you believe the economy is great and we've got all these jobs. But if you're like me and you've been very skeptical of the economy being good, this is a validation because Americans are broke. And this is despite the fact that borrowing is at a record high. So consumers are borrowing a lot of money, yet they're not spending it. What are they doing with that borrowed money? The government is borrowing a lot of money. We're running these huge deficits, yet it's not even affecting our retail sales when that is really the goal, right? They want to get people to go out and shop and it's not happening. Now, after the retail sales numbers came out, we got the Atlanta Fed updating their forecast for Q1 GDP. Remember, this is the forecast that was at 5.4% about five or, or six weeks ago. And of course, you remember on my podcast, as soon as that came out, I was like, well, this is crazy, right? What are these guys smoking? There's no way we're going to be anywhere near that. They're just going to be doing this limbo uh, for weeks and months, and they're going to be lowering the bar. And on Friday, I reported on my podcast that they had lowered the bar to 2.5, which was the lowest forecast that they've had since they started forecasting Q1 for 2018. And what I said on Friday was they ain't done going lower, that there is room for this bar to go down. I said I thought that the GDP uh, for Q1 would be under 2%. And today, after these retail sales numbers, the Atlanta Fed went down to 1.9. That is a 65% decline in their forecast from five or six weeks ago. And it's not less the Atlanta Fed. A lot of other people, Goldman Sachs now is at 1.9. And you know what? This is probably not the low watermark. Now, I think there's probably at least a 50-50 shot that we end up with a zero handle on Q1 GDP. I think we're definitely under two. I'm not going to say we're definitely going to be under one. But I think we've got a shot, given how weak the data has been coming in, especially the, the big trade deficits. But the only reason that we might end with a, with a one handle and not a zero handle is these rising inventories, which in the short run give you a boost to the GDP because inventories are part of GDP. But if inventories are rising because nobody is spending, what does that mean? That means that businesses are going to allow those inventories to wind down. They're not going to keep stocking up. So what we're doing is we're borrowing GDP growth from Q2 and we're shoving it in uh, to Q1. So that means that even if we're going to get a weak number for Q1, we could have an even weaker number for Q2. And again, we had a weak 2016. We had what? We had 2.3% GDP growth for 2016. Nothing to brag about there, despite the fact that Trump is doing that. But looks like 2018 is going to be worse than 2017, despite all the tax cuts, despite all of the unfettered optimism. And, you know, we got more validation of my point that the economy is much weaker than is generally perceived and certainly than what the president and Wall Street are trying to pretend with the election that we had yesterday, this special election in Pennsylvania congressional district, uh, Republican uh, seat that was up for grabs because the former uh, Republican representative had to resign, right? He got himself into some kind of scandal, extramarital affair, uh, abortion, stuff like that. So he left. And so this was a Republican district. Trump carried the district by 20 percentage points. 
Uh, a Republican has been in this seat for 15 years. So pretty solid Republican, right? And it looks like that Connor Lamb, the Democrat, is going to win. I mean, it's a very close race. But Lamb has got more votes now. I know Saccone hasn't conceded. I don't know if there's a recount or a legal challenge. Maybe there's a few absentee ballots. But it sure looks like Lamb won. But even if Saccone won, the fact that the election was this close really shows you that Republicans and Trump are in trouble. Now, I know the Republicans are trying to spin this in a positive way. They're saying, well, you know, Connor Lamb ran as a conservative Democrat. He, you know, was not running against the president. He had adopted the president's agenda. Look, this is all trying to make lemonade out of political lemons. This is a big loss. And it's not the first time we've seen Democrats win in elections that have happened since Trump. But the Republicans really tried to win this seat. I mean, they spent a lot of money on this election. Big money. Was it maybe eight million bucks or something like that, which is a lot of money for a congressional seat? In fact, you can argue that maybe the main reason that Trump wanted to slap on tariffs for steel and especially announcing them when he did was because Pennsylvania is steel country, right? You got a lot of steel makers in Pennsylvania, a lot of people that work in the steel industry. And the timing of this to me looks like Trump was specifically targeting voters in this district, hoping that the tariffs would make him a man of the people, you know, a man of the workers, and that it would help put uh, Rick Saccone over the top. And Trump was down there. He was giving speeches. In fact, one of the speeches he gave, I watched this entire speech. It was about an hour-long speech. And all Trump talked about was how great everything was, that the stock market's up 40% since he's been elected. That this is a fantastic achievement of his administration. And he's talking about how great this is for the average guy, the average worker who has a 401k. Of course, he wasn't saying any of this as a candidate. He wasn't talking about how great the rally in the stock market was for the average guy when it was the rally that happened while Obama was president, right? People forget Trump is just going to say whatever it is he thinks the audience wants to hear. He is just talking. This is a show, right? This is all uh, salesmanship. That's all he's doing. He's just he's just talking, uh, you know, what he thinks people want to hear, and he's trying to be a showman. And so now he's trying to say, oh, you know, we got this great stock market. Oh, let's use this to my advantage. Just like he's talking about the unemployment numbers. I mentioned uh, on my last podcast, he said the government statistics on employment are beautiful, right? They used to be frauds. They used to be hoaxes and fake. But that's when he was using that to get elected. Now that he's president, he has to use those same statistics to try to support what a great job he's doing. In fact, the president actually said when he runs for reelection, and he's basically already thrown his hat in the ring now for 2020, and he let slip his new slogan because he said, hey, I can't say vote for me to make America great again because I've already done that. I've already done that. That's what Donald Trump has said. He has already made America great. He's done it all by himself. America is now great. He's been president for a year, right? And assuming it was not great a year ago, 
right? And his campaign was genuine. I mean, I remember his my favorite ad from him that was on the internet. I mean, it was so dark. I mean, America was a complete disaster. It was an economic wasteland, right? Things were really, really bad. Now, all of a sudden, it's great. A year's gone by, and it's gone from horrible to great. I mean, that's all it took. I mean, Trump promised to make America great again. And surprise, he's already kept the promise. If you were waiting for the greatness, it's already here. I mean, this is going to be a very difficult campaign uh, slogan uh, to sell uh, to the voters. I mean, they're already not buying it in Pennsylvania, right? If the economy was as good as Trump claims, if Trump had already made America great, why didn't his handpicked guy win that special election? I mean, if he won it by 20 percentage points, where are his coattails? Why don't these uh, Pennsylvania blue-collar workers, why aren't they voting for Trump's guy if America is already great and the only way to keep it great is to make sure that Trump has more Republicans? Because that's what he said. He said, send me more Republicans. The Democrats are no good. We have to keep America great. And the electorate wasn't buying it. You know, the reason that Trump was so successful. And one of the reasons that I was one of the few people that actually thought that he could win was because I knew that he was speaking the truth to voters about how lousy the economy was and that what they were getting from the media was a bunch of fake news. Well, now they're getting fake news from the president, right? The president is trying to tell his voters that everything is great. Well, they know that it's not. They're just as broke now as they were a year ago. Their their lousy jobs are the same. They're they're still making no money. They got part-time jobs. Nothing has gotten better. Yes, there's been small tax cuts, but you know what? Those tax cuts have been overwhelmed by the increase in the cost of living. So they're actually not any better off. And of course, the government is now deeper into debt. These tax cuts weren't paid for by cuts in government spending. Government spending went up under Trump. Welfare spending went up. Military spending went up. The government is bigger. So the government is more of a burden on the economy today, which means it's more of a burden on the electorate, on the average voter, right? So the same reason that people are not shopping because they're broke, they're not voting for Republicans because they're broke, because Trump has not already made America great again. It's not that simple. I mean, what has Trump done to make America great again? Run bigger deficits? That's all he's done, right? He's reduced government revenue and increased government expenditures. Is that all it took to make America great again? I mean, is that the problem we had before we elected Trump? The deficits just weren't big enough? That the reason America wasn't great is because the government wasn't borrowing enough money and Trump has fixed that? Now we're going to have bigger deficits than ever before. And so now America is great again? I mean, come on. I mean, the reason that America wasn't great and is still not great is because government got great. Government got too big. Regulations were too many. Taxes were too high. There was too much bureaucracy. And none of that has changed. You know, Donald Trump wants to talk about all the deregulation. Yeah, it's just talk. There's been some things, some regulation have been removed, but not nearly enough. You're talking about a spit in the ocean when it comes to all the regulation that exists on this economy. Yes, they cut taxes a little bit, but so what? We just have bigger deficits to show for it. I've said many times on this podcast, the most expensive way to pay for government is by borrowing the money. 
So politicians are not doing us any favors if they cut our taxes, if they don't reduce government spending. All they're doing is putting that spending on a national credit card. And everybody knows that if you put buy something with your credit card and you pay it off over time, that is a much more expensive way to buy something than just paying cash up front. So none of this has made America great again. But Trump is going to try to run on a re-election theme of keep America great. Look, we're going to be in a recession by the time Trump is up for re-election. I mean, we may even be in a recession by the midterm election. So the, the irony of this whole thing is that Trump has now teed it up for the Democrats. The Democrats are now going to be the party of change. They're going to be the party that wants to drain the swamp. It's Trump's swamp that needs to be drained. They're going to be able to feel everybody's pain. They're going to be able to say that, you know, we're going to make, make America great again, right? Because the voters are going to know that they were disappointed, just like they were let down by Obama. Now they've been let down by Trump, and Trump's going to try to pretend that he's made America great again when it's even in worse shape than it was when he became president. And you know what the Democrats are going to do. I said this. They're going to blame it on the tax cuts. They're going to blame it on deregulation, even though we haven't had much deregulation. And they're going to say, look, Bush ruined the Clinton economy. He ran up the deficits to cut taxes for his rich buddies and corporations, created the financial crisis. A Democrat came in, Barack Obama, cleaned up the mess, raised taxes on the rich, created a strong recovery, low unemployment. All of a sudden, this great economy is handed off to Trump, who destroys it all over again by cutting regulations and cutting taxes on corporations and the rich. He runs up the deficit. He crashes the great economy. Right? He crashes the market, which is going to happen too. We're going to be in a bear market. We're going to be in a recession. And we're going to get the Democrats. They're going to control Congress. They're going to take the White House. And I've been saying it's going to be, you know, it's going to be like a Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, somebody like that, or a Cory Booker. It's going to be a real left-wing socialist guy. And what are they going to do? They are going to jack up taxes, right? And, you know, what they're not going to do is they're not going to take away uh, or add back the deductibility of state and local taxes. You know, now that the Republicans have done the dirty work, uh, they're going to leave that alone. They're just going to jack up uh, the marginal income tax through the roof. We'll see what they do when it comes to corporations. But you know what they're going to do with government spending? If you think the Republicans, when they control the White House and both houses of Congress, if you think they were big spenders, wait till you see how much the Democrats spend when they control both houses of Congress and the White House. And you know what? The Republicans can't oppose the massive deficits that the Democrats are going to run up because they ran massive deficits too. Only the difference is the Republicans are... The Democrats are going to be able to say, look, the Republicans ran these big deficits when the economy was in good shape. We're running them now to get us out of this Republican recession. So we're running responsible deficits because we're priming the pump when the economy needs the help. We're not just cutting taxes to give out to give the rich people money they don't even need. We're trying to stimulate the economy. In fact, I think that if the Republicans get or lose the Congress and the Democrats get the Congress in 2018, now Trump's going to be president. He's going to have a Democratic Congress to work with. You know we're going to be in recession, right? There's going to be massive government spending increases that I believe Trump is going to sign on to because I think Trump will be afraid 
of vetoing anything that the Democrats pass in the name of stimulus. Because it's a no-lose situation for Trump if he vetoes something. Because let's say the economy goes in recession and the Democrats have a big government spending Keynesian stimulus that they pass and they send to the president. Let's say he vetoes it. Okay, the economy is in the tank and it's his fault, right? There's no recovery and it's all blamed on the fact that he vetoed it. Now, let's say he signs it. All right, well, he signed on a Democratic bill and if the economy is still in the tank, it's not his fault. He simply signed what the, what the Democrats passed. So if the, if the Democrats take Congress, we're going to start to see the deficits exploding even before the uh, Democrats take the White House in 2020. And of course, what is going to be happening by then, right? The Fed is going to be cutting interest rates back to zero. The Fed is going to be doing QE4. All of this is on the way. But the market's still oblivious to this, you know, even with today's bad economic data, even with the downward revision by the Atlanta Fed, the dollar was up slightly today. Gold was flat. I mean, it was, I don't know, down a buck, up a buck. It didn't really go anywhere. Uh, Nobody really perceives what's going to happen. In fact, the bond market has been moving up a little bit. I think part of that had to do with the stronger than expected auctions we've had over the last couple of days, even for the 30-year bond. I mean, that's kind of crazy. And a lot of the buying came from uh, from foreign buying, which makes even less sense. Uh, and you know, to me, it looks like that jobs number. I doubt that this is a sustainable trend. But in, in the meantime, it's taken the heat off the markets as far as rising rates. But the markets were still down. The Dow was down 200 and 48 points today. It was down a little over 300 points at the lows. And you know, what are the reasons that it rallied? I mean, initially the sell-off, and the markets are not saying it's because of the politics of the elections or because of the weak economic data. A lot of the pundits were blaming it on Trump's talk about getting tougher on China, uh, you know, trade on China. People were worried about a retaliation on Boeing uh, decliner in the Dow Jones, which is why the Dow was you know, so much weaker, let's say, than the NASDAQ, which was only down about 14 points, which is uh, percentage-wise relatively small. Uh, that's like barely two-tenths of a percent, whereas the Dow was down 1%. But that was what was the initial catalyst, or at least what people were blaming the sell-off on. And the market actually rallied on the news that Larry Kudlow was going to be the new a chief economic advisor to the president. Now, you know, Cohen uh, announced that he was resigning and, you know, he was a guy who was, you know, anti-tariffs and more of a free trader. And they thought maybe that's a reason he's leaving. And the markets were worried that, okay, this means Trump is going to have more tariffs and more uh, and more protectionism. And when he announced uh, Larry Kudlow, the markets initially liked that because it's like, oh, this is good because Kudlow is against tariffs. Kudlow is a free trader. So maybe this means the president is going to kind of veer back towards free trade. After all, he's getting uh, into his administration uh, an economist who has the opposite opinion of what he's been saying on, on trade. And if that's what you think, and if that's what the markets believe, I think they are wrong. I think anybody who thinks that Kudlow is going to change Trump's mind has no idea what they're talking about. It's going to be the other way around. And I think one of the reasons, or probably the main reason, that um, that Trump is picking Larry Kudlow for this job is precisely to turn him around, turn a foe into a friend. 
right? You know, there's an old saying, keep your uh, friends close and your enemies closer. And Larry Kudlow is not exactly an enemy of Donald Trump. He's been very, very supportive of Donald Trump uh, since the beginning, right? I mean, he's been a Trump guy and he's been a loyal uh, supporter of Trump up until very recently when he's been challenging Trump on, on trade. And so what I think Trump is trying to do by inviting him into his own administration is to silence that public critique of what he's doing and to bring him in onto his team. And I think Larry Kudlow is very much a team player. I mean, I like the guy a lot personally. I mean, I've talked, I've had many conversations with Kudlow. Uh, and I mean, I like the guy. He's a nice guy. Uh, but his biggest flaw, in my opinion, is his loyalty to the Republican Party. And, you know, so he doesn't want to you know, criticize anything about the economy as long as there's a Republican. I mean, this is what he was doing when Bush was there. And, and so I think that as Trump's economic advisor, he's not there to advise the president. He's there to rubber stamp the president's agenda. He's there to help the president sell his agenda to the public. After all, he is a media guy. Yes, he was in the White House administration way back when. Uh, but what has Larry Kudlow done most of his life? He's been a TV personality like Trump was. Yes, he was a he worked at Bear Stearns for a while and he was, you know, but most people know him on CNBC um, as, a, as a commentator. And he has a lot of connections. He's regarded on Wall Street. And I think this is the, 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 the president trying to make that overture. This is all about show. Remember, he's a showman, right? I mean, he's good buddies with Vince McMahon. Uh, he's got Linda McMahon in his cabinet. It's all like professional wrestling, right? They're putting on a show. I mean, we all know it's fake, but they still they still go through the motions. That's what Trump is doing. And, and so I think that Kudlow is ultimately going to come out in support of whatever tariffs uh, the president wants to adopt. Now, maybe they'll pretend that Kudlow had some influence on maybe targeting the tariffs in the right direction and maybe not painting with as broad a brush, whatever it's going to be, uh, Kudlow is now going to be on Team Trump even more so than before. And Trump is going to continue with his protectionist agenda. Nothing has changed uh, simply because uh, Larry Kudlow has been, has been nominated. It simply, to me, indicates a kind of a smart move on the part of the president, given the agenda that he wants to pursue and the way he wants to pursue it. So he takes somebody who is a public critic and turns them into a supporter. And, you know, it's probably going to mean that the rest of the gang is going to do the same thing. You know, you've got Steve Moore from the Wall Street Journal. You've got Art Laffer. I mean, these guys are kind of like a club. They're all out there. They're all supporting Trump. They're all good friends uh, with, uh, with Larry Kudlow. And, you know, as far as these guys are concerned, Trump could do no wrong, right? I mean, they're still, uh, you know, captivated by the idea of, of what he supposedly represents rather than the reality of what he's doing. You know, I had a, a, a good conversation with Steve Moore not like a month ago. I mean, we were at a, a, I think it was at the money show. We were both there and I talked to Steve Moore and I reminded him of a speech that he gave at the money show before Trump won. And his whole purpose, the point of the speech or one of the main points was that when Trump was elected, he was going to shorten the maturity of the national debt. This is what he was going to do that was going to be so good. He was going to lock in these low rates. He was going to, he was going to correct the mistake of the Obama administration. He was going to refinance the short-term debt. 
and sell more 30-year government bonds so that we could protect the taxpayer and lock these rates in. And after his speech was over, I, I, I approached Steve Moore and I said, Steve, no way that's going to happen. It's impossible. Trump can't do that because if he tried to do that, it would push up long-term interest rates and collapse the entire bubble. So it's never going to happen. And he assured me that that's what Trump was going to do. And so when I ran into him again and I, and I reminded him about the conversation, he said, yeah, you know, you're right. He did the exact opposite of what I thought he was going to do. And I said, yeah, I said, that's, that's Trump. You know, I mean, it, but you know, he's still in his corner and I, I'm telling these guys that this is a very dangerous position to be staking out. It's the same mistake that all of these uh, Republican cheerleaders made with George Bush, right? If you, if you're going to be, oh, I'm just a loyal Republican. And no matter what a Republican president does, I'm going to say everything is great. And I'm going to say how great the economy is just because there's a Republican who's leading the charge. And if you think that all you have to do is cut taxes and everything is going to be great, because look, yeah, Republicans like to give out tax cuts, just like the Democrats like to give out welfare, right? Well, the Democrats never talk about who's going to pay for the welfare, and the Republicans don't want to talk about who's going to pay for the tax cuts. Although, yes, the Democrats like to say the rich are going to pay for the welfare. So at least they can try to say the rich are going to cover the whole bill when they can't. But nobody's going to pay uh, for the tax cuts, because, I mean, the Republicans want the votes of the rich, right, just like they want the votes of the middle class and the poor. So this is a complete free lunch because there is nobody that they can say is going to be uh, paying the bills. And and so this is a, a mistake, because when everything collapses, then you just hand the next election to the Democrats because you have no credibility on the economy. Right. You, you have no credibility on 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 the real solutions because you pretended that these fake solutions were going to work. So now you can't come back to the voters when, you know, your opponents can hang all the stuff around your neck, you know, like that albatross, and you, there's nothing you can do about it. So that is why, again, I said the Republicans are committing uh, political suicide based on their narrative right now, that the economy is already great, that America is great again. Trump has single-handedly pulled this off. And so there's no more work to be done. All we have to do is maintain the status quo. We just have to keep America great. That message is not going to resonate in the, in the midterm elections, just like it didn't resonate in that special election last night. And it's not going to resonate in 2020. It is going to backfire. And speaking about backfiring, I, I want to wrap up this podcast just talking about, you know, clients, you know, Europac clients who are thrown in the towel, because today there was a lot of people, I, I've noticed a, a, a spike again in, um, in in clients leaving. I think maybe eight today, maybe this was a record. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, I spoke to most of them. And I actually, you know, today I decided to work from the beach. So I spent most of the day out on the beach, uh, but I still had to make these calls. So I, you know, I was under an umbrella. I had my laptop in my lap and I had a cell phone in my hand and I'm calling these clients who are telling their reps that they're, you know, they're closing their accounts or we're getting these transfers in and the clients are leaving. And I, I talk to them and I'm having these conversations that a lot of times I'm able to convince people to hold on. But I think this time I pretty much struck out. I mean, I couldn't keep convince anybody to stay on board. I mean, I had a lousy uh, batting average. And but I, I get a real sense of what's on their mind because these are long term clients, right? None of these clients are leaving who just came with, they've been with me a long time, right? A lot of them have been with me uh, since before 
Obama was elected or right after he became elected. I mean, I got a lot of clients in late 08, early 09, 10, a lot of people, because that's when my book was very popular, Crash Proof. I mean, even though the book came out in February of 07, more people read it after the financial crisis than before. The book kind of took on a life of its own. You know, you had the Peter Schiff was right video. And so most of the clients who came to me, they had already cashed out of the U.S. stock market. They, the market collapsed. They got out right near the lows. They, were, they didn't like the market. They were very afraid of Obama. They were worried about what he was going to do. And then they found me. And I was like a refreshing, uh, you know, counterpoint. They read my book. They saw, oh, Peter Schiff was warning about the crisis. All right, let me, let me try working with him. And initially, there was a lot of success, 2009, 2010, 2011. You know, we had great years, right? People did really well during that time period. Everything changed in 2013, 2013, 14. All of a sudden, gold tanked, oil market broke, the dollar took off, and the U.S. stock market went up, right? So everybody knows. I've talked about that on my podcast for a long time, uh, the, 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 re- the problems we've had with returns during those years. Now, everything turned around in January of 2016, and we've made tremendous progress since then, and I think a lot more is coming. But ever since Trump's been president, I've been getting you know these clients uh, closing their account. And it, it seemed to took a break for a while. I mean, the, the U.S. market dropping, you know, I think all of a sudden, you know, people, that stopped. But now market has kind of come back. The Nasdaq's made a new high. And all of a sudden, we're seeing another jump in interest. And I'm talking to these people, and it's all about the U.S. stock market. It's not that they're upset that their accounts are going down with me, because they're not, right? Their accounts are going up. And when their accounts were going down in 2013 and 2014 and 2015, they weren't thinking about closing their accounts then. They only want to do it now. And it's because of their enthusiasm for both the U.S. stock market and for Donald Trump. And, you know, this is a perfect example of capitulation, right? This is when the naysayers, the doubters finally, you know, give in and buy into the mania. Right. This is what's happening with a lot of my clientele, because there are all these Trump supporters. Right. And, and they, they, they believe that everything is great, that Trump's going to get reelected because everything is so great. The economy is booming and they want to get into the U.S. stock market because they think the party's just getting started. I mean, you know, they they have their local stockbroker talking about how much money everybody's making in the U.S. stock market. And they, they want to be part of it. Right. They, they you know, they think that this is going to keep going on. And this is classic. This is the classic sign of the end of a mania, right? This kind of capitulation that's going on. You know, there's an old uh, trading saying that the markets can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that people short into bubbles. And when you're short, you can get margin calls. And if you get enough margin calls, you know, you, you could go broke, you know, trying to short a bubble. You know, or if you're buying puts and you buy these puts and they expire worthless and then you buy more and they expire worthless, right? Well, none of my clients are going to be insolvent because we didn't short the market and we didn't buy puts. Uh, We just, we're just not long U.S. stocks. We're in foreign stocks, we're in gold stocks, and we're not on margin and we don't have options. So we have staying power. So it's not that we're going broke, but what's happening is that the psychological aspects where People are just giving up and giving in and jumping into the party because now they're convinced it's never going to end, right? Those are the last people in, the people who were negative the whole way up, 
who wouldn't buy any U.S. stocks because they hated Obama. They were worried about the economy. They were worried about the debt. People that were worried about the debt when Obama was president are not worried about the debt now, even though it's growing even faster. In fact, you know, one of the clients that I talked to today who was, you know, so excited about Trump closing her account um, was telling me all these great things about how Trump is cutting welfare spending. I'm like, no, he's not. Welfare spending was just increased. Trump's not cutting anything. The government is getting bigger, but people kind of see into Trump whatever their hopes are. As, as much as people were worried about the economy because of Obama, they're, they're optimistic because of Trump. And they think Trump is different than Bush, that he's not a typical Republican. Uh, he's not. He's a Democrat. He's more Democrat than a Republican. I mean, yes, he had to talk about cutting taxes to get Republican votes, but what he is doing is probably more Democrat than Republican. I said the Democrats are now the socialists. So maybe that's why Trump looks like a Republican, because the Democrats are socialists. But the socialists are going to win the next election. And that's what a lot of my clients don't understand. And they're getting caught up in this. And, you know, as bad as I feel for the clients who are making this horrible decision to buy into a bear market, to buy into the top of the U.S. stock market. And it's not simply that they're going to lose money in the U.S. stock market, because I do believe that eventually the Fed's going to come in and cut the losses. There's still going to be big losses, but I think the Fed is going to cushion the blow. But the big thing is not what they're going to lose by buying into an overpriced stock market bubble. It's the profits they're not going to make by staying in my strategy. It's what they're going to give up by not being in these foreign stocks, by not being in gold stocks, by not being in emerging markets or the the stocks that are really going to benefit from the deflation of the dollar bubble, that are going to benefit from an exodus out of U.S. assets in general when the Fed has to reverse course, when they got to do QE4, when they got to cut rates, when the deficits explode, when the bottom falls out of the dollar, when we ultimately have a dollar crisis. That is the bigger part of it. But as sad as I feel that, that these clients are, are, are making this mistake, and I do feel a little bit of, uh, you know, personal, uh, you know, dissatisfaction out of, you know, losing, you know, losing this person, you know, because I, I had them for so long and now they're, you know, they're not completing the journey and they're, they're doing something that I know is like, you know, financial suicide. So I feel like, you know, I've, I've kind of lost the soul, but it just makes me feel so much better for the vast majority of the clients who aren't closing their accounts, you know, who who understand what's going on, who are adding to their accounts, and for the people who are now just starting up, who are now just, you know, coming on board, it just makes me feel that much more confident, as if I even needed any more evidence. You know, I hear all these people talking all the time, oh, Peter Schiff hasn't gotten anything right since 2008. There are so many things that I have gotten right, and every day more things are revealed that simply reinforce how right I've been about the overall big picture. Yes, the U.S. stock market's gone up. So what? It's a bubble. You know, when I have people looking at their accounts now and they're saying, well, you know, I would have been better off if I was in the U.S. stock market these last five or six years, of course, because it's a bubble, right? There's no way that if you are investing rationally, if you are buying value stocks, right, and using your brain, there is no way that you're going to outperform a bubble. Nobody can do that. But of course, once the bubble pops, that's when the outperformance comes in. I mean, and if it's a bubble, you are guaranteed to outperform it if you just can wait it out because bubbles by definition always pop. And when they do, they collapse. 
And my strategy is designed to do the best as the air is coming out of that bubble. So I don't care if bubbles have outperformed my strategy before they pop, because that means nothing. What matters is what happens after they pop. And I am a position, I think, perfectly for that. I think I position my clients perfectly. But not only do I feel good for my accounts that are still there by getting this extra level of validation, this classic capitulation by the most skeptical of skeptics, right? People who sat out the U.S. stock market. Again, I didn't convince them to do that. These are people who already got out of the U.S. stock market before they even found me. Remember, I had a U.S. stock market fund that I closed down because nobody would buy it. I mean, the only buying I had was because I put an allocation into my wrap account. But apart from that, none of my clients wanted it. So I had to shut it down because I was losing too much money. Now, obviously, if I still had it today, I mean, maybe maybe people would, would be buying it. But it's not just for my clients that this makes me feel good. It's for me, right? Because nobody eats more of my cooking than I do. I mean, I am totally all in on this anti-dollar trade. And, and so this type of sentiment by retail investors on top of all of the other economic indicators, market indicators that I'm seeing simply cements for me how right I ultimately am on this investment strategy. And that not only do these clients buying into the U.S. stock market now, this late in the game, indicate that the, we're in a bear market, right? But that my strategy that they're abandoning, right, is early in a bull market, right? Rather than pulling money out of these foreign value stocks and gold stocks to buy into overpriced U.S. stocks, they should be selling overpriced U.S. stocks and loading up on the international stocks and the mining stocks that I'm buying personally and that I've been buying for clients. So again, if you're not a client, call up and set up an account, go to europac.com, talk to an advisor. If you already have an account and you have the capability, add to it, get more money out of the dollar and out of the U.S. stock market and into your account with me before the bottom drops out of both the U.S. stock market and the dollar. And the gold market wakes up and does what I know that it's going to do, right? Because once people figure out that all this stuff is a mirage, that there is no economic growth, that America is not great again, that the Fed's not going to shrink its balance sheet, that it's going to do the opposite, none of this is baked into the cake. And when this hits the gold market, right, it is going to react in, in I think, a way that we've probably never seen. Because th there is so much pressure that has been built up. Again, it's it's going to be like a like a rocket ship exploding, and I think that you you know you just got to be in this when it happens because I think once it takes off, I think the move is going to be so violent and so big that it's going to scare people off. People are going to be afraid to buy into it because it's moved up so quickly. People are going to be waiting for a pullback that's never going to happen. <music>